morning, I want to start off by telling you about a guy named Rusty. And Rusty isn't a real person, but I, I think many of us have a little bit of Rusty in us. You know, Rusty was a fun kid. His dad was a bit off the wall, but he loved his son. Now Rusty's in his early 40s. He's the superintendent of a manufacturing facility, and he worked his way up through the ranks. He, he's a good manager. He's respected and liked. Rusty expects a lot from the, the people that are working for them, but they can be confident that he will treat them fairly. Rusty gets to work at 6 a.m. in the morning, doesn't leave for home until after 3. And you know, he's tired when he gets home. But his wife meets him at the door wearing a stylish dress and white pearl necklace. She brings him the paper and his pipe and his slippers. And there's a great smell that's coming from the kitchen. It's pot roast and mashed potatoes and homemade biscuits. Oh, wait, that's, that's not Rusty's life. That's a family from the 1950s sitcom. But the fact is, is that Rusty's wife does greet him when he comes home from work. And, and sometimes her greeting is very simple and it's very straightforward. She says to her husband, I'm beat. Your daughter skipped school again today, and that's the third time this month. And so we have to meet with the principal tomorrow. The dogs chewed up your slippers, and you can order takeout for us tonight because I didn't have time to cook because, you know what, I was busy on TikTok. Oh, and you know what? That smell from coming from the kitchen is fresh poop from their new puppy. <laughs> that is closer to reality. The fact is, though, Rusty does have a great wife who loves him deeply. She drives him nuts sometimes, but he can't imagine his life without her. He has two kids. Rusty sometimes loses patience with his kids, but he's very proud of them. And the family has two and a half dogs. The half-dog is a puppy who weighs about four pounds, but is more work than all the other dogs combined. Rusty brings his family to church nearly every Sunday. He's doing his best to pass his faith on to his family. Rusty faithfully listens to the message, but you know what? He admits that if it gets a little boring, his mind kind of drifts away. He loves Jesus. And still he would tell you that he struggles to live out his faith every day. And every night before Rusty goes to bed, he prays. But Rusty is a good worker. He's a good husband, a good father, and a loyal friend. But, you know, sometimes when he's laying there at night and he can't sleep, he wonders... Am I making a difference? Am I making a difference? A another way that he could ask that question is this. Am I leaving a legacy? You see, a legacy is what we leave of value to the next generation. And as Christians, our legacy is one of faith and love, and we pass that on. I it's the impact of our Christian life that goes on long after we are in heaven. So have you ever asked yourself, what's my legacy? I know I have. 
this morning, it's Memorial Sunday, as you heard, and we remember those who have passed away over the last 12 months and have had their funeral service done through Bethesda. But it's also Operation Christmas Child Sunday. And if you think about it, those are two very, very different observances. And yet they each have something to do with leaving a And my hope is to provide a simple yet admittedly incomplete answer as to how we live a legacy, leave a legacy for God. And if there's any Rusties out there, I hope this helps. Now, though, before we get started, I, I do want to point out something very important. Leaving a legacy begins when you're just a kid and it continues throughout your life. So I know there's some teens up there in the choir loft. You can start leaving your legacy today, too. Because no matter where we are, we can pass our faith to the next generation. We can pass our faith on to other people. And we're all called as Christians to leave a legacy. Leaving that legacy of faith begins, actually, as we recognize a few basic truths. The first one is this, is God owns it. And the it is everything. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we read this. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then a few verses later, God's creation make, reached its And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the, of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. And so God created man as his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Those are beautiful words, but they are also very straightforward words. Think about it. If God created it, and he did, he also owns it. We were created in God's image, and that's a blessing. That means every one of us has value. You have value. It also means that we belong to God. Abraham Kuyper stated it this way. He said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, mine. You know, we can be really misguided. We think we own the things that we've been given. Maybe it's our retirement plan or our health or our house or our car or even people, our family and our, our friends. And, and the problem is, is we can put them in the place of God. And we forget the, the source of every good thing in our life. You know, Jesus once told a, a parable that warned against such thinking. He said a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to him, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And then I'll have 
room to store all my wheat and all my other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat and drink and, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you worked for? And Jesus concluded this parable by saying, Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. God gives us gifts. He gives us talents. He gives us material things to, to use but they don't belong to us. For example, teens. Teens, maybe you got an, an iPhone for your birthday or Christmas or some other time, and I, and I hate to tell you this, but it isn't really yours. It's on loan to you from God. Men, men of all ages, you know that big screen TV that you bought with your bonus or maybe some of your retirement money? Well, that bonus or that retirement money was a gift from God. So was the TV. It's his. Moms, that mom van you got last year, it belongs to the bank, but ultimately it belongs to God. See, when we understand that God owns everything, we learn not to hold on too tightly to the things of this life. Certainly we enjoy them, they're blessings. We're thankful for them, but we don't let them own us. And if we can kind of change our thinking somehow to that way, it actually makes life more fulfilling. We enjoy the stuff, the blessings that God's given us so much more. We're not selfish. We don't grasp, grasp, grasp the things too tightly. And, and it changes our whole point of view. When we come to the point where we recognize God own it, owns it, we also realize that God is in control. God is sovereign. He can give you more things, or he can take them away. When God takes something away, it typically doesn't feel very good. And yet we know that God does it with perfect wisdom and perfect love for our own good. In the Old Testament, you might, you might remember a, a story about a young man named Joseph. Joseph had 11 brothers. Joseph was a dreamer. His brothers sold him into slavery. Joseph then grew up in Egypt where he was blessed by God to actually rise up in power. Unfortunately, his boss's wife wanted him in the worst way, and Joseph wouldn't comply. And he ended up finding himself in jail. More injustice happened to him while he was in jail, but eventually, eventually God restored Joseph, and he became a very, very powerful man in Egypt. And then one day a famine hit the land. And, and rather than starve back home, Joseph's brothers came to Egypt in search of food because they had heard that Egypt had many food to save, and it was because Joseph listened to God. When they arrived, at first Joseph's brothers didn't recognize him. He tested them. Later, when they realized who he was, they feared for their lives. I mean, after all, wouldn't Joseph want to pay them back for the evil that they had done to him? But Joseph so showed grace. In Genesis 15, 19, and 21, Joseph said this to his brothers. He said, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? 
As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Joseph was a very young man when he began leaving a legacy. He faced all kinds of tragedy. He could have gotten angry. He could have turned his back on God. But through it all, Joseph knew that God was in control. He never lost hope. And God used the, the hardships that Joseph faced to make a way for Joseph's, Joseph's family and many others to be saved. You know, sometimes we don't trust that God's in control. And, and there's a way of, of describing that, and one of the ways I would say is we worry. And I've confessed it before, and you guys know it if you know me. I've been a worrier, and yeah, I still kind of struggle with it. A, a family member has said to me, Mark, you overthink things. And then this person reminds me, God's got it. God's got it. Don't worry. Have faith that God will work things out for your good. It, it might not be what you wanted. It might not be comfortable. It might not feel very good. But it's going to be what God knows we need. The third truth we recognize is that God will redeem it. You know, as we look at our world today, many will say, it's a mess. Being a Christian in America is getting a little tougher every day. It, it's easy to lose hope. It's easy to lose hope if you forget who you are. Never forget. We are God's children. We are children of the King. Jesus has already, already defeated the devil, sin, and death. And Paul adds to that, he said, he told the Christians in Rome, and ultimately us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And we know that one day all of creation will be redeemed. When, when Jesus returns, the words of Revelation 21, 3 and 4 are going to come true. John wrote this, he said, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of, man, of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And at funerals and on days where we remember, these next words are so important. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. God created it, God controls it, and God will redeem it. And remember that it is everything. And without those truths, there is no hope. And where there is no hope, there can be no legacy. And then we come to the big question. Well, what do we do with those truths? Well, the first thing is we love. We love people. Leaving a legacy begins with love. And love is something that I talk about so much, but you know what? I don't think we can talk about it too much. 
We love because God first loved us and sent his son to die for us on the cross. And in response to God's love, we love others. We love our spouse. We love our kids. We love our family. We love our friends. We love our parents. Teens, yeah, your parents might be weird. They might drive you nuts because they simply don't get it. But you know what? You honor them. You respect them and you love them. Some people, some people are really easy to love. But what about all those bozos that drive us nuts? What about those bozos who cause us problems, who don't seem to care about anyone else except themselves, who seem to have made it their mission to make us miserable? What about them? Well, this is the hard part. You know what? We love them too. We don't have to agree with them. We don't really have to be their friend. We don't have to have them over for pot roast and mashed potatoes. But we care about their soul. Jesus addressed such love in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. He said this. He said, You have heard it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And, and we've we got to admit that is a tough message. But as you look at that on the screen, as you read that, as you think about it, did you notice that Jesus said these people were our enemies? He did say they will persecute us. These people are definitely against us. And yet Jesus said, we're still to love and pray for them. And those prayers are not that God would smoke them, that he would turn them into a little crisp of something on the ground. No, we pray for changed lives. Pray for changed hearts. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. When we love like that, it will leave a legacy. It will make a lasting impression. Living a legacy also includes living out the truth. You know, people like to criticize Christians for what we're against. And it's true, we're against some things. We're against sin. We're against what the Bible calls sin, and we can't back down for that. But, you know, there are some times when maybe a different approach is needed. Maybe we should talk about what we are for. For example, one thing is we are for life. God created us in the womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are for the unborn. An unborn child should have the same rights to life as anyone else. We're for marriage. A couple weeks ago, we talked about building strong marriages. God created marriage. And the best way to show other people God's plan for biblical marriage between a man and a woman is for us to have the best possible marriages. 
our friends and our family should look at our marriage and say, it's amazing how much those two love each other. And if you're single, demonstrate your love for God in your friendships and with your family. And through it all, we love. We're also for work. We really are for work. We recently talked about how our, all our work is for the Lord. And that means no matter what you do, we're supposed to work at, at it as if Jesus was your boss. Because he is. And so if you work in a fast food restaurant, remember you're working for Jesus. Treat your customers, treat your coworkers well. If you're trying to climb the corporate ladder, remember it's not about the money and power. It's about Jesus. Be fair. Be honest. If you're in school, give it your best. Jesus demands it. If you work from in the home, serve your family like you would serve Jesus. If you're retired, give your best to whatever volunteer work you do. See, we live a legacy, or we leave a legacy by living out the truth of Jesus Christ. And then finally, our legacy is built as we lead people to Christ. Matthew 28 provides a command from Jesus to make disciples. And disciple-making begins with telling other people about Jesus, with leading them to Christ. A few weeks ago, if you were here, you might remember we had a big old black tub up here in the front of the church. It was filled with nice cold water. And we baptized two young men in it that day. And it happened. And I told this story then, but I'm telling it again. It happened because one of those teens led the other one to Christ. It started with friendship. It continued as the Christian teen lived as God called him to live. And in time, the Christian team simply shared what Jesus meant to him. You know, living or leaving a legacy can be straightforward. We love people. We live the truth. And we lead people to Christ. In a moment, we're going to remember some people who went home to the Lord this past year. And some of you sitting here today are the result of their legacy of faith. And after we honor those individuals, we're going to send our Operation Christmas boxes on their way around the world, sending a Christmas box to a child is a simple, small part of how we leave a legacy. See, God provides us so many opportunities to leave a legacy of faith, to impact people for Christ. And, and maybe you're sitting there this morning and you think, you know what, my, my legacy is in, in, insignificant. I haven't done much. But that's not true. If we're willing to love, live the truth, live the way God wants us to live, and lead people to Christ, guess what? God will use us to do great things of eternal significance. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this day. We thank you 
as we remember those loved ones who we've lost over the last year. We thank you for their lives. Father, I know many are still grieving. Be with them as they grieve. Father, we're sending boxes around the world today for kids. What a blessing to be part of that. And through it all, God, whether we are the benefit of someone else's legacy, we are called to leave a legacy of faith to our friends, to our family, and to the next generation. And so we ask you to help us. Show us ways that we can impact those around us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to read the, the names of those who we're remembering today who passed away in the last 12 months.